and welcome to the Pause Podcast. Today is episode 10 or day 10 of our 15 day, 10. day study in the book of James. We have made our way to James chapter 4. Today is going to be our first day diving into chapter 4. So Lindsay's actually going to read the full chapter just on this episode so that we have it for the next few days. And then we'll zoom in on some specific verses. This is Mari, by the way. Did yes. I say that? Yes. No, you didn't. And I'm going to be sort of leading us through the show today. So, Lindsay, awesome. why don't you go ahead? Yeah. So, I'm reading from the ESV today. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Okay, so today I'm going to be focusing on sort of the earlier half of this chapter, specifically verses 7 through 10. So I'm just going to read this now. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Mm -hmm. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So... If I'm being honest, verses like this, like this whole first half of the chapter, make me feel really cringy. I was mm. uncomfortable reading this and studying it. And I think it's in part, at least, because I'm a New Englander. Mm -hmm. I've got that uh, cold-hearted Puritan blood. Mm. Heavy theology, heavy hymnals, heavy woolen cloaks. Mm. It's just, mm. there's a lot of solemnity and dourness dourness yeah sure woven into my earliest conceptions of god mm. and not not in a great way for me mm. 
So whenever I hear verses like this, I just get I get really weird. I can feel like my shoulders yeah. rising up <clears throat> and I just like it's like cleanse your hands, O sinners. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Turn your joy to gloom. It just I don't know. It just mm. it feels resonant of a version of Christianity that I have seen wound a lot of people and I've been wounded by myself, one that shames and rejects, one that sort of starts with the assumption of you are evil, so clean yourself up or mm-hmm. get out of here. Or get out. And I just, uh, it just makes me feel weird. Yeah. So as I've learned, it's important to sit in the things that make us feel weird. So, yes. um, but this actually, the redemptive edge of it, um, it's an area where being a parent has actually been so key for me. It's been this redemptive process. Um, a lot of these more, I guess, disciplinarian sides mm. of scripture make a lot more sense to me now that I'm raising two kids. So I was reading this, and once I got over the initial cringe and— yeah desire to run away um i started thinking about timeout did mm. you did you go to timeout as a kid yes but that was not my primary form of discipline um my mother would make um, me write down like a hundred times i will not bite my sister <laughs> i was a biter okay you were a biter or like i will not talk back and so I had to sit down at the table and write at least like a hundred times. And so you have to sit in it, you know, yeah. and um I guess it's ref- a form of time out. It's time in. It, true. You do there there's an action in there. Yeah. She was like, get to work. <laughs> so yeah, that's a form of timeout. I don't I mean, I'm sure I had to go to my room some some points, but this was I remember the <laughs> I remember these moments. I feel like it's like being in pr- in prison but being mm-hmm. on work duty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like also have to go out and clean up the highways. <laughs> yep. And you had to turn in your paper at the end. Yeah. She's like, okay. Did she actually count them? I'm gonna ask I her. I had to about do this. like one. Yeah. <laughs> Two. I like numbered them. Oh, you them. had to number them. Yeah. hmm I never had to do stuff like that, but I did a lot of time in timeout. Our timeout was okay. on the stairs in our house. And okay. you've been to my parents' house. Yes. The stairs face away from all the common areas. So if you're sitting on the mm-hmm. stairs, you just you can, have the worst case of FOMO. You can hear it. The fear of missing it. it. You can hear yeah. all the fun going on, but you just have to sit there. And mm-hmm. it was just <laughs> a special form of torture. Yes. So we did a lot of time out where I grew up. And now as a parent, I am the the judge and jury. And mm-hmm. I hand out time out sentences frequently. You've met my kids. Yes. Um. So we're all familiar with the concept. Timeout's pretty standard, I think, still. So my oldest, Ada, lives in her own magical little fantasy world. You've seen this (laughs) in action. (laughs) Yep. Lindsay and Ada had a long discussion at breakfast about Ada's many imagination friends. friends. Yeah. And they're good qualities and they're bad qualities. She has one named Boring Pants that... Yes, he's boring. She has no information about him except that he's boring. We concluded he was bald. Remember we came to that conclusion? Because that's probably the most boring hair she could think of. She's like, well... (laughs) He has no color on his head. She's like, I don't know what kind of hair he has. Like, It's like she doesn't even give him any of her attention because he's so boring. Anyway, so she's always, you know, self-narrating and singing and wailing and battling. She's just always in the throes of some 
dramatic, elaborate mm-hmm. storyline. So when she, you know, disobeys or hurts her little sister or something and gets sentenced to time out, she scampers off. She's so happy. She's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's more than happy to continue the plot line in the privacy of her room. She's this like, oh, I perfect. I just, I needed a minute to work through, you know, this scene. So this is great. I could just go off and work on this. Or like we had a timeout chair for a while and she was mm. like, perfect. I'm going to sit here and just like really get into my character. character. <laughs> like, great. Thanks, mom. Mm-hmm. So one day that had happened, my mother-in-law was over and I had to send Ada to timeout for something. And as she, you know, skipped off happily to her room, I said something to my mother-in-law like, she's too happy with timeout. I guess I need to make it a little harsher. And she sort of laughed, like we were kind of laughing about it. And then she was like, well, you know, very gently. She was like, the point of it isn't to make her miserable. It's mm. to give her a boundary and a place to to think. Wow. So, and I was like, oh, this from a veteran mom of five kids who had five wild children. I was like, you of all people would know this. So Hmm. here I was so concerned that my child wasn't wailing in timeout, wailing and gnashing her teeth. I was so like, oh, this must not be working. I'm doing it wrong. Thinking Mm. that she needed to be miserable in order to learn a lesson. That's good. And I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at here on a elementary level the cringe worthiness of these verses for me is this idea of groveling the idea that we would need to be miserable in order to prove to god Mm. how sorry we are for being bad i think Mm. that's always rubbed me the wrong way yeah but now these days when i think about it as a parent the reasons that I put Ada in timeout, when I start to think about those, I start to understand the heart of some of these verses and the heart of God's discipline, the need for confession and the need for these types of actions that he's describing that I never truly connected with. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking, I, I ask Ada to go to timeout and then apologize. Like it's a two part process for three reasons that I can think of. So the first, it just makes her stop. Like it just creates a pause Mm -hmm. instead of running off to play and probably doing the same thing again. When she goes to timeout, it just makes her, it just slows her down, puts her in one place to, like Ruthie said, to think. It gives her a boundary. Um, Two, I put her in timeout because sometimes I need to discuss with her the danger Mm. in what she did. Like sometimes it's something silly or it's about just like being respectful or something but sometimes she doesn't realize I'm like you know the reason you had to hold my hand when we were crossing the road is that people fly down this road and I can see over the cars and you can't right there's cars parked on the side of the road like and when you ran off the reason you're in timeout is because you could have gotten hit by a car it's not that you just disobeyed me when I said hold my hand right there's and if I if she's not in timeout we can't sit and have that chat we can't sit and like prepare her for safety in the future um and three we discuss the alternative or positive outcome that could happen Mm -hmm. in the future if she does things differently next time Mm. because ultimately i think it's my job as a parent to prepare her to be an adult yes and so i want what's that is the job for her i want her to eventually amend and change and grow her behavior in a way that benefits not just her, but like the world around her. I yes. want her to be, yes, to be, an, a a good citizen. Like I want her to be. So James 
so in talking about these sorts of things, James, the book in general, but this chapter in particular, has been sort of, in my mind, one long instruction manual on how we live well, how mm-hmm. we are just yes people who live well. That's what I want for her. How to love God, love others, love ourselves. And when we don't do that, when we forget that mirror image that we talked about, when we yes. forget our identity— the freedom, the belonging, the belovedness that God declares as our identity. When we start to act in shame-filled or striving ways, we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. We become who we're not. Mm-hmm. And how can we draw near to God when we are not ourselves? Yeah, that's good. So this chapter, at least the first part to me, felt kind of like James's timeout proposal. It's kind mm-hmm. of like his guideline for like a spiritual timeout. So I used to hear phrases like turn your laughter into tears as an imperative, like this whole, I guess, Puritan idea that misery equals purity. Mm. But now these days through the lens of parenting, I think I'm seeing it more as like an urging, like you need to take this seriously. Yes. Yeah. Show me that you understand the weight of what's happening. Just pause for a second mm-hmm. and just think about what happened and how you want it to go differently. Just yeah. just, just remember. So yes. show me that this realization made you take a break from all the merrymaking and the wonder of your life and just reconsider how you're acting. Yes. So hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. And he's not saying these verses aren't like, stop laughing. Stop experiencing joy. No. It's like, I think sin is serious, you know, and I want good for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. At least that's how I'm, I'm processing it. No, that's good. So I, I sort of, sort of in that same vein, I think I have for a long time been very uncomfortable with the concept of confession. Mm. I think because I associate it with shame, I associate it with all Mm. of that, like, you are bad, be more sad about it and cry about it and prove mm. how evil you are um, and how aware of, like, that you're a worm that you are mm. type of thing. Yeah. Um, this idea that we should sit in our misery and that that would somehow make us, like, holier. Mm. I'm not saying that that's what Jesus says, but sure. I'm saying, like, that's, that's... The, the perception that sort of had, like, sunk into my bones maybe from— being raised in the land of the Puritans or yes. just like was my own nature as a kid perceiving it yeah. that way. So I think for a long time I've held the concept and the practice of confession at arm's length. I'm like, I don't even want to go there. Mm. It just feels a little bit too harsh for me. But in recent years, as mm. I've I've started to embrace confession because it's a it's a pretty important component of a lot of the meditation yeah. and the mindfulness I've gotten into. I've become so much more grateful for it. Yeah. And I've understood the the beauty and actually like the tenderness and gentleness of it. Yeah. Um, I guess sort of like a spiritual timeout. Yeah. It has a way of reordering and refocusing me. Um, I, I guess hopefully what Ada is doing in timeout yeah. is similar. This like sort of intentional reflection on you know, what went wrong and how it can go right in the end. Yeah. But I think the most important part of confession is the same as the most important part of timeout for me, which is the forgiveness. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. So in studying this chapter, I read that the Greek word for forgiveness means literally to send away. It's a an, it's an active for to release or to discharge. So after Ada has been in timeout, usually like our the way mm-hmm. we do it is I go in and we chat about what happened, chat about what we would be do, do differently next time, and then she apologizes and usually or sometimes I have to apologize too. Mm-hmm. We forgive each other. We hug it out. And then she runs off. Like she's, she's, yeah, good. she's good. She goes. She's released. And so it is in confession. After reflecting and repenting, there's forgiveness and there's release. And then that's that's it. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. yeah. That's um, good. I don't, it's not this like lingering mm-hmm. in misery that. I think it's meant to be. Yeah. It's meant to be final. I like, this is a comment, a random comment I've been thinking about. Um, but you said at the beginning that these verses kind of remind you of a version of Christianity that you've seen wound. Yeah. And I wonder if like a misinterpretation of scripture in general, not you, but in general has caused wounding, um, when we read these verses without fully understanding what they're actually, what kind of God they're actually speaking about. Mm. And, or when we put our own lens through there, our own lens of shame. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we talked about that in one of the earlier yes. episodes of like how we we humanize God through the yes. lens of our own critic yep. or through the lens of our own th- shame or through the lens of our own yeah. um, limitedness, I guess. Right, right. And it's like reading that verse through our lens would be like, let your laughter be turned to mourning. I'm like, what? God wants us to not experience joy. It's like, actually, no, you know? And so I don't know. That just caught me when you said that. And I've just been thinking about that. It's like, I agree. I think these verses have called, caused wounding and other things in general. But I'm like, what if we've just read it, read it wrong? Or like, Yeah, and I do you know want to I mean? be clear on that, that I don't think that Scripture itself is inherently wounding. I think Scripture is always life-giving. Yes. It's what you said. It's yes. a misinterpretation yep. or a misrepresentation. Yeah. Or a misperception of scripture that causes the wounding, whether it's someone misinterpreting it to you and putting putting a wound or a burden or a shame on you that was never intended. Yeah. Or us through our own like brokenness and sadness and and self hatred. Yes. Um viewing scripture and viewing God's words and God Himself. Mm through the the broken way that we see ourselves yeah. that in that that whole concept of like when you open the perfect law of God we should be able to look into it and see that he, what he says about us but so often we open it yes. and we see what we say about yes, us that's or what good. we yes, believe about us the whole I'm, identity yep. thing we keep yes, coming back we to keep that keep coming back to identity yeah that's exactly right Okay, I hope yeah. I was clear on that. No, though. you like, were, because I was like, I resonate like, with that. I think you're Bible's ex- mean. Like, no. No, it's actually our own lens or what we've heard other people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, that's good. Okay. So I have some discussion questions. Do you, you audience at home and you, Lindsay, mm-hmm. do you practice confession regularly in a, like a formal way? Not formal, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. in a, yeah. a structured way. Yeah. Um, so I have a, pretty high awareness of my sin yeah <laughs> of what I've done wrong um that's just I have a high uh, awareness of that um for good or for bad yeah um so I do practice it regularly and I've mentioned before um walking is really good 
And that's a time when I can reflect and um, ask the Lord or or come into an awareness of his forgiveness. Um, And then resting in stillness. Anytime I give myself stillness. So Mm. that's kind of the practice. I don't have specific words that I say. Yeah. it's more of an being in tune, but I like to bring things before him and words I've said or conversations or relationships and um, and not in like a shame. Because if I don't do that, I'll it's shame. I just yeah. sit in shame, which can be what I do. And that's the, the beauty. That's the flip side of confession yes. is that yes. when we bring before him either the – the lenses that someone else has put mm-hmm. on us or the lens that we've put on ourselves that yeah. it we put it before him and he's able to speak truth over us and yes. to reveal to us like yes. that was never mm-hmm. what i said that was never what i meant mm-hmm. remember yes i said you are already loved you mm-hmm. already belong you're yeah. already pleasing to me yeah um yes that's what's true yes yes um good good what good. about you Um, I do. I practice confession regularly in my, in a lot of the meditations I do. And we did one a few episodes ago, the examine. Yes. There's a, there's an element of confession to that. And we, Lindsay and I were watching a a video of a couple of different Jesuit priests, um, and Jesuit scholars talking about the examine prayer because it was from a a Jesuit priest who created it, Ignatius, um, and they were sort of reflecting on the examine. And one of the um, women, I loved the way that she put it. She said, it's almost like at the end of the day, the examine is like mm. sitting down and putting on, she said a VHS, which made me laugh. She said, you're putting on a VHS. I mean, <laughs> DVD. <laughs> of, <laughs> of, and my kids don't even know what DVDs are. They'd be mm-hmm. like, what do you mean? You don't just press a button on your TV. Putting on a DVD of your day and you sit down on the couch next to Jesus and you watch it together. And there's points where you say like, oh, I I did that mm-hmm. well. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, amazing work. I'm so proud of mm-hmm. you. And there's other points where you say yes. like, I, I really missed the mark on that one. And he's like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You'll do better tomorrow. Yes. And then together you talk about how you could and yes. you will. Yes. And he speaks life over you. Yes. Um, and I think that that is the beauty of confession. And that's what I have been gifted in mindfulness and meditation practices is the um, the gentle space to do mm. something like that that yes. feels so far removed from um, maybe some of the more like shaming puritanical practices. Yes. yes. Um, Puritanical? Is that what Puritanical. Is that a word? (laughs) I said it weird. (laughs) No, Puritanical. Oh, that's great. I didn't even know. That's great. Yeah. I I think it's a word. Yeah, it is is on this podcast. (laughs) How do you get beyond the classic, what have I done wrong lately mentality in confession? Yeah, I think... um, we so, sort of hit on this. Yeah, I but I, I do want to say, like, if you hit, if you look at the verse, it's verse six. It's like right before the verses we're talking about, and there's like this little verse nestled, um, in the middle of all of that, and it says, "But he gives more grace," mm. and I think that that's it for me when I think about um, getting out of the mindset of like, "What have I done wrong lately?" It's like, "But he gives more grace." Yeah. And so that's the kind of God that, um we come before and that we're in relationship with. Yeah. That like before anything, I love that he says it before he says anything else in that verse. He's like, yeah, just so we're clear. Yeah. I Um, give more grace. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's that like the generous giver. We've talked about yeah. that before. This yeah. abundant overflow. He's not withholding. He's not kind of looking down of like, I roll. Hope she gets herself together. Yeah. He's like, I give more grace. Yeah. And he's not like when I think of watching the DVD, it's not also, it's not like game tape where like a coach would be like circling. (laughs) Right. You know, they do that. We're like, oh, here's what you messed up. Here's what he's like in in confession, Mm -hmm. you bring it before him. And then he says like, you'll do better tomorrow. Mm. Like, it's okay. Like you're forgiven. You already belong. You're pleasing. You're loved. Um, And I think that's, that informs my answer that I was going to say is, um, the way that I avoid the classic, what have I done lately, wrong lately, not that there's, not that that's flawed, but that sure. at the heart of it, I think is the identity issue that we keep coming back yes. to is like, I ask myself, like, how have I forgotten who I am? How have mm. I forgotten those things that he speaks over us? Um, and I think that came from, I've got kids now and they're we're talking about bad guys, good guys and bad guys, good guys and bad guys. And for kids, there's such a uh, focus on action because they don't understand as much the internal identity stuff. But we were talking about Scar from Mm, Lion King. Classic Scar. Classic villain. And Ada was saying, he's a bad guy, right? Like she was trying to figure it out. I'm like, yeah, he's a bad guy. So, but why is he bad? How did he get to be bad? Mm. And I was like, ooh, Mm. deep. Mm. And the best answer I could come up with was like, he forgot who he was. Yes. He forgot who he was. Like he, mm-hmm. he is the brother of the king. He's he's nobility. He's yes, royalty. He's royalty. Yep. And yet he stoops to being this like underminer, jealous. manipulator, jealous. Yeah. Like he forgot who he was. Mm-hmm. Being a bad guy isn't just about like, well, you know, he's rude and he's right. this, he's that. Because that's what Ada's focused on is his actions. actions. It's like your actions. Yes. Spring from your identity. Identity yes. informs action in that. Yes. Like, he forgot who he was. Yes. He forgot who he was. And so for me, it's coming back mm. to that. Like, how have I forgotten who I am? Mm. Ooh, Scar. That's good, Scar. <laughs> mm. Okay, we're going to move into the uh, mindfulness portion of our episode. And today we're going to be one, doing another one of the sort of classic meditations. And this one's called the Centering Prayer. So for this one, the way it's going to go is I'll explain it first and then I'll, we'll get set up and get, get quiet. But the way it works is that you choose a sacred word. So it's an expression of our intention to consent to God's presence and action within us during this time where we're sitting in silence. So the sacred word should be chosen um, to be comfortable to us. And it's a word that um, represents God in his truest form to us, um, a way that feels holy and intimate. And we're going to use this sacred word as a practice of letting go of what distracts us during our time of centering prayer. So the idea being we want to stay centered on God, and we're using this word as... um, um, like a meditative tool to c- keep recentering. Like we talked in one of the earlier episodes about how returning our attention to the present, and in this case, to this word, um, it resets our neural pathways and it actually makes it easier. Every time we do it, it makes it easier to stay centered, which is really cool when you think about it in this um, sort of spiritual realm 
we're we're rewiring our brains to focus on God, which is very cool. So the word can be, I mean, it can be whatever you like. So I'll just give some examples. So some people like to use the word Lord or Jesus or father or mother, Abba, Ama, Kyrie, love, peace, silence, stillness, hope, trust, yes, shalom. Um, so choose a word that has meaning to you. And so what we're going to do is I'm just going to put um, five minutes of quiet music at the end of this episode before the outro plays. And what we're going to do during those five minutes, I'm not going to speak. Um, we're going to sit and we're going to use that word to simply, anytime we feel our mind wander, which we know is inevitable and normal, we are going to use that word as a tool to draw our attention back to focusing on communication and communion with God. So anytime you feel your mind wander, you bring it back to the sacred word that you've chosen. And you're just going to do that over and over and over again over the next five minutes. So if you're able to get quiet get still, get into a comfortable position and close your eyes, take a few deep breaths and then settle in to this centering prayer practice for the next five minutes.
Thanks for joining us today. If you're looking for show notes to follow up on any references we may have shared, you can find those in the episode description or by going to our website at www.thepausepodcast.com where you can also find links to our social media along with a handy guide to subscribing or leaving a review. Thanks for listening.